Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you tired of reading books, attending leadership or communication classes, only to wonder what's missing? What am I not getting? Well, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and guess what? I am a storyteller. It is through the stories of others that we learn how to do better. Listen in on my conversations with my guests who, like you, are on a journey to become better leaders. Leading well is not a destination, it's a journey. One where doing well means learning from each other if you are to identify and then close the gaps between where you are now and where you wanna be tomorrow. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. I send hello, greetings, and love to you. Thank you so much for tuning in to my podcast. You are listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper, and it is hosted by the C-Suite Network. And I want to send some love out to Apple, um, Google Play, and Spotify for being the people who deliver this voice wherever you choose to listen to my podcast. Today's guest, as usual, is always someone who is absolutely dynamic. Tony Chapman is a corporate relationship expert and an international speaker. He's been on the TEDx stage. And you know what? If you want more, read the bio. But today's conversation today is really around this idea of disruption and and around this idea of how do we get into disruption? How do we manage through disruption? And what's on the other side of it? And we're going to talk about a gambit of stuff And I know that this is going to be absolutely dynamic. So with that, Tony, what's up? Hey, Denise, thanks for having me here. Oh, cool. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Tell me a little bit about yourself that people don't know, but you've got a title, Corporate Relationship Expert. I'm willing to bet that some people need a little educating on that. Well, How did you get into that? What is that about? My undergraduate degree was in chemical engineering. Oh, another chemical engineer. Oh, boy. Here we go. I'm already being pigeonholed. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. So anyway, I was a chemical engineer and I was good at it. And I entered into the workplace and I realized very quickly that although college did an incredible job of preparing me for the process side of work, Mm -hmm. as well as the product side of work, I quickly started to realize it was my ability to navigate the relationships that was giving me an advantage over my peers. Okay. And then I started to see that, A, that was pretty universal, but most people hadn't really been prepared for it. And so instead what they would do is they would do what came natural in relationships. And the truth is sometimes that works and sometimes that'll bite you in the butt. But, you know, if we were actually to focus on relationships the same way that we focus on academia, it would change our successfulness, not only in the workplace, but in life, our ability to connect with one another, to, you know, we use the phrase network all the time, but to influence people and to just relate to people, there's really an art and a science to it. And the more that people begin to understand that, the more successful they become. And what's fascinating for me is then years down the line, after a few different career changes. When I became a speaker, I started looking back on my career and I realized what made me successful was my ability to communicate and my ability to connect with other people. 
And so I started to say, you know, if I could teach people the skill and the art and the science of how to relate with one another from a corporate standpoint, it would make a difference for the organization, but also for all of the people who work inside the organization, it would be fantastic. And, you know, the truth of the matter is I came up with corporate relationship expert because nobody else had it. And they put me number one on the <laughs> SEO. So I'm like, hey, you Google corporate relationship expert, Tony Chapman. But, you know, it also was the one thing that was a real descriptor of yeah. what I thought would I could contribute to the world. Yeah, yeah, I love the the idea because you've got two of the three things that I, I try to to get people to really pay attention in your in your description of it. It's you got to understand how to connect with other people, communicate with them, and then as a leader, you got to figure out how to get them to collaborate. Yes, and that's that's really it. You got to connect first, then you can communicate, then you can start working on collaboration. Yeah, well, and the crazy thing about what you just said, the, the two things that stand out to me is. For people who are working at a job, yeah. often the real, the real thing that's going to determine whether they progress or not is their ability to navigate relationships, right? There was this famous study done by Manchester Institute, in which they, or Manchester Consulting, in which they said, you know, 40% of managers and executives failed in the first 18 months of a new assignment or new promotion, but the vast majority failed because of their inability the relationships with their superior, their peers, the people who are the direct reports, right? So you have that aspect of it. But then when you step into the entrepreneurial space, mm -hmm. you have a lot of people who've had the ability to create some great product, yep. some great you know, service. Yep. But then what bites them is when it's time to scale up and yep. they now have to bring in people to help do the work with them who don't have the same vested interest in it as they do. Mm -hmm. And so now that same skill set that you just talked about with right connect, communicate and collaborate becomes essential to the entrepreneur. So it's not just in the workplace, it's that entrepreneur because now what keeps them from becoming true business owners and CEOs is that same inability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it it's funny because we don't talk about that. We we have all these other kinds of things. And we set up programs. I mean, you know, how many programs, how many people are out here selling and trying to get better at communicating? Mm -hmm. How many OD people, organizational development people are out here trying to help everybody collaborate? But it's the system of leadership. It's about how do you connect with other individuals, particularly those who are not like you. And that that's more than just physicality, right? It's more than your gender, your gender identification, your um, neural diversity and all those ideas that we now talk about in terms of people who are not like us. It's people who went to different colleges. It's people who had different experiences than you do, different points of view of you. It's how do you connect with those people where you really don't even know where the conversation is going to take you. Right. To be able to, to connect with them first, then figure out how to communicate in a way that is as trans appropriately transparent as possible to get them, get everybody to be able to collaborate. So, so this whole idea of how we teach leaders is really kind of skewed a little bit. And then this thing called disruption shows up, whether it's, you know, we're now under quarantine and everybody's talking about, well, it's the new normal and the conversations either in your head or the conversations we hold between the two of us. But this thing called disruption causes us so much pain, which, all, which in my mind, 
is a, rolls against what life is really about because life is really about change and navigating change, right? Right. You've talked about when I read your background, talk to you a bit before and after this, it's really about these relationships, but it's really about the disruption that happens in the world and it affects our relationships, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I think to talk about disruption, you have to start off with change. Okay. And when we talk about change, it's one thing to talk about the, the physical changes that we experience. Mm-hmm. Another thing to talk about the emotional and psychological process that we go through when we have change. Okay. So years ago, my wife and I, we came up with this model. We were working with a client and we couldn't figure out how do we communicate this? And we came up with this idea of a trapeze, right? If you've ever been to a circus, you've seen you know, the artists, the flying trapeze, all that stuff. Right. But you know, to get from one trapeze to another, the first thing you have to do is let go, right? You have to let go of that old trapeze. The second thing, or the, the end part, you have to latch on to the new trapeze, right? There's a point in the middle because they're set so far apart where you're holding on to nothing. Mm-hmm. You're just in limbo. And it's the most unsettling, scariest, you know, discombobulating thing you can go through. And, and that's really the process we go through when we go through change. We, we let go. There's a point where the new has not been fully established, but the old is gone. And so we're in limbo. And then finally, the new has appeared and we hopefully latch onto it. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the difference between change and disruption is when disruption happens, that old tra- trapeze just goes. Mm-hmm. There was no, there was no plan. Mm-hmm. We didn't think it just happens and you're cast into limbo. Mm-hmm. And we don't like that uncertainty. Mm-hmm. It, what it actually does is it magnifies our insecurities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we do that. And so that's happening, but we don't have a new trapeze to latch onto. No, can so we you, right. And so what you just said is important. So now what we're trying to do, and you're seeing this over and over again right now, and as we're in a pandemic and all the other stuff has happened is we're trying to normalize what's not normal. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you keep hearing, well, you know, we're at the new normal. This ain't normal. There is nothing about, we're in limbo. Mm-hmm. We are currently in, we have no idea what it's going to look like when we hit that new trapeze, mm-hmm. but because we've been cast into it and our entire comfort zone has been disrupted, that's, a natural response. Mm-hmm. And what we really want, what, what people really want is for that old trapeze to reappear. Mm-hmm. That's really what they're looking for. And they're going to constantly look back for that old trapeze more than they're going to look forward to the new trapeze we should be latching onto. Because they can't see the new one. It's like it's in a fog, really, isn't it? Yeah. But the old one, we know it's back there somewhere. And I know what it looks like. And I know what I'm looking for. When you're looking forward, you don't really know what you're looking for. Right. Well, and we're so, you know, we use the phrase comfort zone. We're so familiar with the old trapeze, right? Yeah. It, we've literally built our lives around it. It's not just that the past was disrupted. It's our expectations were disrupted. Our relationships have been disrupted. Our habits have been disrupted. And so everything, you know, th- there are psychological studies about, you know, normalizing these things and how much stress you go through when that's taken away. But you know, we literally, we talked about leaving your comfort zone. We've been kicked out of our comfort zone. And yeah, we have, we don't even know what to look for. We're not even sure we would recognize a trapeze when it comes. Yeah. And that's, I think, our biggest fear. 
yeah, that unknown, that unknown is so unsettling and it causes us to act in ways that aren't necessarily in line with who we really are. Yeah. So I, I want to tease out a little something in this because a lot of the people that I coach or companies I work with, they actually do see the, the old trapeze, as you're saying, going away. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's painful. I mean, you get the pain indicators, you get the, it's getting harder, it's getting harder, it's getting harder. <laughs> you know, the right. whole on. there are messages that say, this is not aligned with my values. This is not, <laughs> <laughs> that's the one when I, when I hear that one of, you know, they're, they're just not aligned with my values. And <laughs> in your vernacular, that's my signal that says that trapeze is gone. Right, right, right. <laughs> So why do we stick? Why do we keep trying to, you know, hold on to something that we know is crumbling right up under us? Oh, it's similar to when you go through the stages of losing a loved one, right? It's, Mm -hmm. you know, we think of the anger, we think of the depression, but one of the stages is denial, Mm -hmm. right? And that denial it's okay. So years ago, I was hired by a retired two-star general to work with a number of military bases during what was called the BRAC transition. That's base realignment and closure. So basically the federal government owns a bunch of land, but then they also rent a bunch of land and they're like, that didn't make any sense. So let's move all the stuff that we have all the land that we own. Okay. Sounds easy, horrible process, right? <laughs> so people like me were hired to go to different military bases and work with people because now their job is going to be moved, right? They're, they're going to be moved to another state or it's totally eliminated. How do you either get a new job in the federal government or a new job in civilian life or make the transition to the new place? And what was fascinating, my first week there, I'm having a one-on-one coaching with someone and they say, well, this doesn't really apply to me because my job's not leaving. And I'm looking like th- them like, okay, I know I'm new, but that doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Later, I talked to them at the headquarters like, oh, no, their job's moving. Later, I'm at Fort Knox, right? I'm made, you know, you, you normally think of gold when you think of Fort Knox. Right. I got to learn how to drive an Abrams A1 tank at Fort Knox. It was amazing, right? <laughs> but I'm having the exact same conversation. Yeah. Later, I'm at Fort McPherson in Atlanta. And literally, I said, look, open up your computer. We turn up the computer go to the, the actual webpage for the base. And like, there's a countdown clock to the exact minute this base closes. You're not going to be here. And truthfully, that base now is owned by Tyler Perry. And so if that guy was not in the last Medea movie, he ain't got a job. But <laughs> the thing is, the thing is what happens, and this is, we were kind of having this conversation earlier. What happens is, A, we go through denial. We go through these stages. But instead of accepting that we have to go through the stage, we look for enablers during Mm -hmm. those stages, Mm -hmm. right? So we're in denial. So instead of saying, okay, at some point I have to accept that, we look for something or someone to validate our attempts to go back. Mm. And that's a deep thing because let me really get- Wait, wait, wait. You got to pause on that one. (laughs) You got to pause a minute. I'm not <laughs> sure. I don't, I don't think we really need. Yeah, we we look 
for someone or something to validate that nothing is going to change. Is that what you just said? Yeah, and, and that we can go back to the old trapeze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so check this out. Can I use an example? I'm not going to get overly spiritual, but I think for familiarity, there's a biblical story that I could use that could be a good example. Is that okay for me to yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So many of us are familiar with the story of Moses, right? Right. Moses is going to lead his people out of Egypt through the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds or whatever, you know, however it's translated, and eventually into the promised land, right? You know, right. Let my people go. Right, right. So Moses gets his people, they get through the Red Sea, but all of a sudden, before they get to the promised land, they're in this desert, this wasteland, right? right. Basically, they're in limbo right. is really what happened. They've right. left Egypt, but not gotten to the promised land. So they get there, and after a while, and this is in every Abrahamic faith covers this, right? They're there for a little bit, and then all of a sudden, the people are like, wait a second, there's no water. Let's go back. Yeah. And so Moses strikes a rock, and it's believed that enough water to meet the needs of 2 million people approximately came out. Fascinating, right? Right. right. But then a couple of days later, everyone's like, okay, we got water, but there's no food. Mm -hmm. Let's go back. Mm -hmm. And so Moses prays, and somehow this manna, which is translated as bread, actually it's translated as what is it, is actually what it is. But, you know. Some, some bread from heaven. I mean, for me, my interpretation is it probably tastes like bacon, but has no calories. That's, for me, <laughs> that's bread from and heaven. No carbs. Right? That, and no carbs. No and carbs. It's no like, I can eat as much of this, but lose weight. That's bread from heaven. Okay. So everyone's cool for a week or two. And then they, people are like, well, I'm tired of manna. We want meat. And then catch this part. This is really important because this starts to explain why they go back and what they did. Now they say, there's no meat. Let's go back to Egypt, where all we did was sit around pots of meat all day. Yeah. So, but that's not true. They were slaves. Yeah. They didn't sit around pot, pots of meat all day. But here's what happens. When you go through disruption long enough, yeah. and you're in limbo long enough, you begin to romanticize the past. Yes. And yes. you turn it into something that it's not. Yes. Right? And the good there, are some, there are some current examples that you and I politically can point to yeah. of people saying, let's go back to the good old days yeah. and turning it into something that it was not. Right. And right. so when Moses goes up to get the law from, from God, what do the people do? They elect a leader that will take them back. Yeah. And so that's why I'm saying what happens during disruption is people will look for whether it's a physical person or an idea or something that will validate their ability to go back to a, a past that they're romanticizing. It's not even the truth, but now they have created it into their head where it's a utopia. Yeah. Where the truth of the matter is, not only is it not a utopia, it probably isn't even good for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we got the bread with the gluten and the fat. Now we got, yeah, now. No yeah. bacon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, yeah, turkey bacon or tofu there bacon. It's, what, what is this stuff? <laughs> tofu bacon. <laughs> wow, that's deep. That's deep. 
what do we need to do to change so that we're actually teaching leaders? Because I don't think I know of a program. So anybody who's listening to this and you have included something that helps a leader understand the process of change actually in that before they have to be a leader or a, an organization leader, please send me a note because I want to know who's actually doing this because you, we talk about this stuff all the time. We, we hire speakers, we, you know, we bring in OD and Bain and you name it. We bring them in to help us figure out the speaking. But what everybody really wants is a path forward. And we totally don't understand what holds us, what's the stickiness of staying put or going back, as you said, going back to slavery. Right. What, what, what needs to change? What, what can we, you know, I obviously talk about this, but what are the skills, what, what kinds of stuff keeps the leaders who intellectually understand this from moving forward? What, what holds us back? Gosh, now we're going into the real can, right? Yeah. Because, you know, the, so first you hit on the, the, the big problem. We should be training leaders before they become leaders. Yes. Right. But the truth of the matter is too often we are, we're promoting people for the wrong reason. Mm -hmm. We're promoting contributors because they're good contributors, not yeah. because they're showing any leadership potential. And then we're under training them. Yeah. So we're leaving them to their own devices. And quite often those will betray them more than they will actually aid them. Mm -hmm. So that's the first problem. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a obviously training, mentorship and freeing them up to be able to lead versus having them lead and contribute at a rate that's unrealistic. Those are clearly kind of your, your beginning steps. Yeah. I think also though, understanding the science and art of relationships and change. So in terms of change, really, you know, we talked about disruption. What's really being disrupted? And I've, I've alluded to it a couple of times, but it's a person's comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So what is a comfort zone, right? And it's that mm -hmm. psychological place of balance and stability where we can perform at lower stress and higher perform, all that stuff. But here's the thing. What does it consist of? That's the real question. So when you're looking at change and you're looking at disruption, you're looking at now dealing with a person's habits, yep. their beliefs, their relationships, their circumstances, and their emotions. Those are five critical components, right? Mm -hmm. Emotions, beliefs, habits, relationships, circumstances. We normally think of circumstances and maybe relationships a little bit. We don't think about all those other things. But here's the thing. That's complex. Even just, just saying those five topics, that's more complex than your basic leadership. And too often people want a solution where it's like grits. You just add water and stir. And it yeah. don't work that way. Yeah. And so you got to really dig down to that because you've got to be able to manage all five of those things. Mm -hmm. The second part of it is coming down to that part of the relationships because it's too easy to manage people in a herd mentality. We're, we're managing a group of people versus individuals who make up a group. Mm -hmm. So everyone is now significantly different. They're different in their experiences, they're different in their personalities, different in their education, they're different in their cultural background and a litany of other things. So that makes it far more complex. 
So to me now, you really have to be a lot more intentional and decisive and have a lot more scrutiny on who you allow to become a steward of another person. Because that's really what you're doing when you're having a person become a leader. They're now becoming a steward of another person and they're, they are affecting directly the success or the failure of that person in the future. But then, you know, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of thinking. It takes a lot of preparing. I mean, we can get into like processes that go along with this, but if you neglect any one of those areas, you, you just neglect beliefs, right? When right. you start talking about disruption, well, how are beliefs disrupted? It's our expectations of what's normal and what's going to happen in the future. Right. If you don't address that, you're, you're, gonna, you're doomed to failure. There's no way because that's part of even now as we're talking about things like new normal and all this other stuff, right, people right. are lost because they no longer know what to expect. I mean, I, I live in Manhattan, so I'm in the epicenter of this whole thing, mm-hmm. right? So for me, I see people who are going out and posting on social media. Hey, we're going to go to Orlando. We're going to Costa Rica. And I'm like, yo, I'm not sure I'm going to the grocery store. Right. Right. So my whole level of expectations has been thrown off, but I've contextualized it and realized, okay, I, I don't know how long this is going to be, but this is going to be for a period of time. I don't know what's going to happen at the end of it, but I know what I don't want to do is make the mistake of normalizing this moment right. because that's going to eventually bite me in the butt. So, you know, that was like a really long drawn out answer, but it's that there's an art and science to this thing. It's super complex. You've got to consider all five components of the of people, what people go through when they go through this transition. Right, right. And I say that because most leaders want it to be easy. And, and, and convenient inconvenient and fast right right and this is not that yeah which is why you need to prepare right why it needs to start before you get in the role right and the reality that you're going to take a hit to productivity before you see the improvement right yeah and you weather that storm yeah Yeah. i I know know. it's it's all of this stuff that you know, it's way beyond leadership 101 on this at the stage, right? Because we're really dealing with how, you know, so, you know, what can a leader do that's real simple? First thing a leader could do that's really simple, clearly communicate consistently, right? That's like the most big, but over communicate. Yeah. Because for most people, like for me, you tell me once, okay, I got it. Tell me twice. Look, I told you I got it. Third time, look, now you're on my nerves. I told you I got it. But under stress and under duress, you got to communicate three times more just for people to hear. It's it's stuff like that. Well, that yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So just slow down on that because what you're talking about is you can tell me once and I got it, twice I got it, three times I got it. But that's when we're doing the same thing we've always done, and we both know what that is. When when it shifts to we're going to do something different, we listen from the old trapeze. We don't listen to wait a minute, this is change. We can't get these things done. We don't want to, we're still stuck in, that's where these habits and beliefs collide because the circumstances have changed. We don't have as much money. Um, right. You know, we got to close offices. The customer's changing their preferences here. 
new technology has come in. I've, I've doubled in size. The circumstances have changed, but we're treating it like the same habits we used to have and the, and the expectations, which are beliefs, if I understand what you're saying, are the same. Well, it, you know, when we were 20 people, we could do it in three days. Well, guess what? We're now 120 people. It ain't happening in three days. So everything gets tumbled around because the, of the habitual thinking, the way we haven't shifted the way we look at and analyze what's really going on. When does it get longer? How does it get longer? Who does it affect? You know, before it was the 20 of us, we thought as one, we were in sync, we were in team. Now we're 120. We're not the same team. And so it's those little pieces there and those subcultures within a company, you know, every, your, your original statement of we all are in the same, we're not taking into consideration, nor do we talk about the subcultures within a team, which is all the designed by the leader of the department or leader of that organization. Each yes. one has it. If you got 13, cult, 13 departments, you got 13 cultures. Absolutely. 100. And, and I, I apologize. I feel, sometimes I feel like I get so into this <laughs> that I jump all around the place because this is something I, I'm really passionate about. But that's what you what, live in. So yeah, I, I do. I, tease I, it, right? Right, right. I'm, I'm totally in the middle of it. Right. A, what you said about we lead without considering the change is very important because mm -hmm. that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. The second part of it, and this kind of gets into the back into the whole comfort zone part of it, is even for just you and I right now, over the last 10 months. Yeah we underestimate the amount of stress that we're under. Yes. Okay, we, we do. It, there's a, a stressor scale that's used by actuaries and it gives a numerical value to, you know, incidents that happen in people's lives. Well, mm -hmm. if you look at, you really look at that chart, what it's doing is it's measuring how much change and disruption has happened in a person's life. And that's the very thing that they use to determine, you know, how much of a risk factor you are getting health and life insurance. Right. Well, if you look at the average person over the last 10 months, mm -hmm. regard, even if you say they still have their job, right. They don't have children, so they don't have to worry about homeschooling. Right. And their finances have stayed the same. Right. Even if you say those three things are, are good. Yeah. The average person has gone through enough stress to put them in a different risk category. Yeah. Okay. So Going back to what you just said now, that means because under stress, we know not only does that cause more medical issues, so right. people's health is suffering, but we also know that for periods of time, their IQ and their cognitive ability yes. drops. So now, if you don't lead in a way that you consider the fact that people are not retaining the same amount of information, That's right? It. They're, they're frustrated, they're, they're stressed, they're overwhelmed. Yep. And you're saying, go do this. And you're like, well, what's this? What, what, what are you, they're just, they're losing it in the fog of thinking. Right. Those are the types of things that leaders must consider during disruption because what's happened for most people now is because we have forgotten that we've gone through a global pandemic, a national quarantine. We've had murder hornets. Don't forget murder hornets. Yep. We've had the government say, we've got aliens. You know, that was back in May of last year. Yep. We've got national race conversation. We've got contested elections. 
it's almost like we've normalized it. We forgot that we're under extreme duress. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. we're not processing normal normally and we're not reacting normally. We're right. more touchy. We're more irritable. And even that, as, as simple as it sounds, I had to learn as a leader mm-hmm. when actually working with a job and going through this type of thing, I couldn't take people's responses personally anymore because they weren't responding to me. They were responding to the stress of the situation, but it felt like it was directed at me. Yeah. And then if I took it personally, now I'm leading them differently and I'm causing the problem to be more exasperated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm getting calls that, you know, women are crying more. Yes. They're killing themselves emotionally in, in their head because that wasn't who they were. Right. This other person now um, that's coming up. And all of the fears about they're not capable and, and even, you know, with people of color, I'm not capable in the corporate seat anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what decisions to make and taking on the old burdens of every time I make a decision and it's not the right decision, you know, I'm, I'm carrying the race, I'm doing all of this, are starting to pop up more and more and more. Like there's yeah. no next chance. I, I, you know, this is my only swing at bat. If I don't do it, knock it out of the park, then I'm going to be benched for life. And so these feelings and these, these words I keep hearing of, if I don't do it right, I'm, there's no second chance are coming up in people's vernacular. I've got to get it done now. I've got to figure out what, what right here, I got to be right. Instead of thinking about the long game, which is, you know, kind of the other thing you said earlier about how do we get to the other side, that other trapeze that's coming towards us is really visualizing the long game. Yes. Figuring out that piece, but we're too busy trying to, you know, keep from drowning right now to be able to do it. As a, as a, you know, in your role and in your talks with people, what are some things that you can offer them to help them kind of visualize and get to that next trapeze? Well, it's interesting we're we're having this conversation now. Um, And there's something I want to go back to in a few minutes. But first, I think even before visualizing the trapeze is recalibrating where you are. Ah, okay. And to be able to say, okay, here's the thing. Because this is an abnormal moment, this is a stressful time. I need to recalibrate my expectations of what it means to do well in this moment, Mm -hmm. what it means to be, you know, it's kind of wild to me for a lot of entrepreneurs that last year, April, May, I started hearing this conversation about, well, you know, before you were saying you didn't have enough time or clearly that wasn't the issue. Or if you haven't figured out a new hustle by now, then, you know, and, and I'm hearing this and I'm thinking, we're not doing this in context. Right. I mean, the reality is if, if I got lost with my family in the Amazon rainforest for two weeks mm-hmm. and I got rescued, I would be shocked if I ended up on a news station. Someone said, okay, so what new business did you start while you were in the Amazon? It's like, wow. No, wow. I survived. I survived. I survived. That's what I did. And we should be, and we're not thinking, Hey, number one, the first victory is getting through this. Yeah. It's not, did you reinvent and pivot? And not everyone has that luxury. 
Right. So for some, it is, I just have to survive this moment. Mm -hmm. And so that can remove some stress, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I think for others, you can start to see, okay, here's some opportunities, but I have to really look at the circumstances of my employees, of my marketplace, of the capital that I have, of my own personal bandwidth, you know, before I say, okay, I want to pursue this, but these big dreams that I'd have had pre-COVID, that's not a realistic dream to have right now. Let's make the baby steps and wherever we get to, we get to. I think it's because the challenge with what we're in right now Mm -hmm. is it's trying to visualize the future becomes dangerous because the disruption changes so quickly. Mm-hmm. Like the disruption that we're in right now in February of 2021, which is a, a recent storming of our nation's capital, yeah. is very different than the disruption that we were in 90 days ago. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, it's not about having faith in the trapeze. It's about being able to survive limbo. Mm-hmm. And if you could sur- if you can survive limbo, then when the trapeze appears, right. because it's possible that it won't appear the way that we think it will. It never does. It will be fine. Yeah, it never does. It never does. And that's part of the problem. We're looking on the left side and it shows up on the right. Right, exactly. And so for a lot of, you know, companies I'm working with right now that we're dealing with, you know, we're, we're most of the companies I'm working with, we're dealing with a combination of the pandemic and a racial conversation that they need to have internally, which is an interesting pairing, right? Mm-hmm. It is, let's worry less about the future because we've not taken a very good inventory of where we are in the current. Okay. So let's take a really good inventory of where we are in the current, then we'll have a clearer idea of what we need to do. Okay. All right. All right. You know, we said a whole lot in this time here. I want to break it down to some simple things here. So as a leader, internally first, I'm hearing that I need to understand the circumstances and what's happening with me. And then I think you have to go out to deal with your your folks. You just can't rush out there to get to your people and start doing it without checking in and grounding yourself. What are a couple of things that I can do myself first before I get out there? And then once I'm out there talking to my leaders, communicating, communicating and over communicating, what am I, what is the end goal of that? Okay, so great. I think first, let's deal with, like you said, the individual. Mm-hmm. The first thing you have to do is you have to take care of yourself before you take care of anyone else. Yes. So there's a level of peace and self-care that you have to go through. And although that sounds obvious, here's the challenge. Often in the middle of crisis, as leaders, we become caregivers and we take care of everyone but ourselves. Okay. So that means, you know, whether it's, you know, making sure that we're actively exercising, that we're going through meditation, that we check our diet, that we're not abusing alcohol, all these basic things, we we have to get a sense of peace because you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is you have to figure out what you can and cannot control. Mm -hmm. So for example, we end up in a pandemic. I am a professional speaker. Mm -hmm. I make my money getting on airplanes and flying to places. Right. Can't do that. Even to make matters worse, in the middle of a pandemic, now all of a sudden, you know, college is closed. Both of my sons end up living with us. 
Yeah. Right after we had downsized from a, you know, 3,800 square foot house to a two bedroom condo in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. So now I've got, you know, me, my wife, two six foot four year old young, six foot four young men, mm -hmm. a dog and a cat in a two bedroom condo. And I'm trying to give virtual presentations, right? Wow. Yeah. So it's chaos. Yeah. So for me, I just say, okay, what can I actually control in this? Can I create a little bit of workspace? Can I, can we figure out a few scheduling things? Mm -hmm. I can't control everything, but can I create a little piece of, of, of something here that I have enough control over that I can function in that space? Because we have to look for areas of control. That may be in your schedule, may be in your environment, it may be mean your routines. So first piece, second control, third is your community. Okay, you have to have a supportive community. And especially in times like this where we have lost community, things like, you know, technology, Zoom, Clubhouse, all of this other stuff, but making sure we stay in touch with our mentors and mentees, making sure that we have the healthy relationships because what can happen is we're, we're not only managing our own crazy emotions, but we're dealing with the emotions of people who are around us and we can't predict whether they're going to be sane in the moment. Yes. And so they can end up infecting us with their negativity. Right, right, and right. So these three things, even though they sound, you know, because they're going to be different for every person, right, what right. do you need for peace? Like I started doing yoga first right. time ever, but I started mm -hmm. doing yoga because I knew I needed it for peace. Second thing was control. And the 13th, third thing was what is the community of people that's going to help me to survive this, not try to take me back to where I was. Yes. Those are the three things. Okay. Okay. And then, so when they, and so a leader should be asking those same questions of their own people. Yes. So, and the, the leader is going to be doing that slightly differently, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what the leader now is going to do, I mentioned over communicate, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because by communicating and being transparent and hopefully being faithful and hopeful, you're creating a level of peace. Okay. Okay. So one of the ways, because what happens is whenever there's a void of information, then we become uncertain and we fill that void with negativity. Yes, absolutely. Okay? Worst case right. scenario. Right, exactly. And so that's why it's importantly, it's incredibly important to make sure that we're not just communicating, but we're actually over communicating. Mm -hmm. And that's the way we're going to be giving them peace. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, so then next thing in terms of control, what we have to do is celebrate the little wins. Mm -hmm. Because the wins are going to be much smaller. And sometimes the wins are survival. Yeah. But you've got to be able to celebrate the wins. And then third, and this goes to the relationships. And this is something I learned the hard way. So I took over a group and all of a sudden I realized that many of the people, instead of coming to me for information, were coming to someone else. Mm -hmm. And I took offense at it. I was like, well, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And it took a while, but we were in the middle of a change. And one time I asked that person, hey, what would you do? And, and they were a little reluctant, but they started giving me some information and I implemented it and it worked. And over time I built trust in a relationship with this person and I say this because, so as a leader, you sit in the seat of leadership. Yes. But there are other people who are what I call opinion leaders or influencers. That's who people really go to for support and direction. Right. And they have to be your allies 
And you have to be able to leverage those opinion leaders and those non-leaders because number one, they have a better finger on the pulse of what's going on. Yes. And number two, they're able to impact people in a way that you can't. Yes. There are and times it doesn't make you bad because you can't. Right. Right. They're, they're okay. I, I mentioned I have two, two sons. One's 24 and one's 20. I have friends that I'll call and say, hey, can you talk to Joe about X? And they have a relationship and they'll talk to Joe. And then Joe called me and said, oh, so-and-so said something totally changed my life. Now, truth of the matter is they said the exact same thing I said 15 times. But because it came from them, it was like an epiphany. And I'm not offended by that. Yeah. That's what's going to happen is sometimes just hearing it from another voice will bring comfort and security and clarity. And we've got to be fine with that. Use them as a resource. Don't view them as competition. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Wow. I cannot believe this has been such a dynamic conversation. Guys, audience, when you hear this, really sit back, listen to this a couple times, because this idea of, we, we hear all the time about self-care, about what does it take to be a leader and disruption and the pandemic and where we're going. And we hear it from a top level. We don't really listen to it for the deep, deep things that are, that are stuck in there. And then how do I, what do I do? Do I stand, you know, looking at the trapeze at left? Do I just get focused on the fact that I'm hanging in the middle? Or when do I start creating what that next trapeze begins to look like? I promise if you listen to this one more time, you will begin to hear how you can create your own path from getting from where you are today to where you are tomorrow. You will learn how to close the gap. Tony, thank you so much for all the wisdom that you have given to everybody. How can people get a hold of you if they're interested in talking to you further? Well, you know, it's in the age of the internet, my name yeah. is Tony Chapman, C-H-A-T is in Tom, M-A-N. Um, go to my website, it's TonyChapman.com. I'm easily Googleable. Um, or find me on LinkedIn. Those are the two easiest ways. I'm super responsive to people. Great, great. And I, and I got to tell you, just meeting this man, I'm in, I'm, I'm in love with uh, his ideas and what he brings to the party around this idea of relationships, leaderships, corporate relationship expert extraordinaire. And so the last thing I got to say to you guys, if you like this, share it. If you don't like it, share it. Because I promise you, when sharing it and talking about the ideas in it, you will come to a new level. That's how you close the gap. And for that, I'll talk to you at the next time. Bye. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall, for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.